Here's some standard operating procedure. Stay the fuck away from Tony Soprano. Shut the fuck up and listen. It's over, Gabish. Over and done. You call or go anywhere near him or his family, and they'll be scraping your nipples off these fine leather seats. And here's the point to remember. My face is the last one you'll see, not Tony's. We understand each other. It won't be cinematic. The following podcast is a Carolina Boys production. Welcome back, everyone, to Crime and Entertainment. I'm your host, Hollywood Wade, and we hope everybody enjoyed last week's episode with Anthony Ramundi. Boy, what a lightning rod of controversy. I think I had a third job this week of replying to the comments of people saying that Anthony is not being 100% accurate in all of his statements, and when I try to see if anyone can bring any proof to the table uh, to see if you know, they can prove that what he's saying is not true. Nobody takes me up on it. So therefore I have to take Mr. Amundi at his word. I will actually be doing some one-on-one stuff with him later on next month when I go to New York. So look forward to that coming. You can catch that uh, probably on the YouTubes because it's going to be video. But today folks, we are going to be talking to one of the main characters in the hit tv series the sopranos that's right we're going back to the sopranos this week and we are interviewing dan grimaldi who was one of a few characters that played two different characters on the show now the first character he played was philly parisi but he got taken out by another crime and entertainment guest we've had on the show john fiore who played Gigi sestone but then he came back as the identical twin brother Patsy, Patsy Parisi. Now Dan actually lasted the entire length of the series all the way up into the final episode, but he's had quite a career in the movies. You know, he was a uh, first cast in a movie called Don't Go in the House, where he played Danny Kolar. That was a really interesting film I had a chance to look at before we had our interview. Some interesting stories on there. He was in The Junk Man, if you know that, anything about that. That was one of the original. Gone in 60 Seconds sequels with H.B. Halaki on there. Uh, he was in Crooklyn, North, uh, The Yards. Uh, so, and then later on, obviously, like we said, Sopranos, but he's had some other TV spots as well. He's in New York Undercover, NYPD Blue, Blue Buds, uh, The Dragnet. So he's been in quite a few things. Very, very smart individual, very laid back individual. This is a wonderful interview we had with Mr. Grimaldi going over, you know, some of the golden era times of while Sopranos was being filmed. We talked a lot about his time on the set and, you know, who he liked acting with and things like that. So I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy this, especially if you're fans of the Sopranos. So strap in and join in on this episode as we sit down with Dan Grimaldi here on Crime and Entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Crime and Entertainment. I have here a very special guest from one of my most favorite, actually my most favorite TV show, 
The Sopranos. Please welcome actor Dan Grimaldi here to the show. Dan, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Thank you very much, Wade. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good, man. On a Sunday, I can't complain. Enjoyed me some basketball yesterday with the, the tournaments and everything they got going on. About to kick off with some March Madness. So just been taking it easy, my friend. How about yourself? Uh, you got any favorites? Uh, well, I'm a Duke guy, but they let me down yesterday with, uh, I think it was Virginia Tech. I was kind of hoping they would give Coach K one more uh, ACC championship, but they kind of let me down. But I don't know, man. I don't see a standout favorite to win this whole thing this year. Nobody really rolling. I mean, I, I got a feeling Gonzaga will be there pretty late like normal. Um, right. You know, maybe maybe Auburn. I don't know. Every time I think somebody might have it, then they lose to somebody that they shouldn't lose to. So it's it's surprising. Well, it's amazing how Gonzaga came out of nowhere years ago, 10 yeah. years ago, whatever it was, and they still they still got a great team. Yeah, so they're they're cool. there every single year, and it's just like I don't. I mean, I, I don't even know if I know where Gonzaga's at. Was it in, is it in Washington or somewhere like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, I love March Madness. I really do. I think that. Well, I love all playoff games because I think that's when everybody comes with their with their number one game, their A game. Right, and in I agree. Sports, in pro sports and. And in in, uh, in college sports, it's it's when you're down to the wire. That's when people come with their A game, and it's fun to watch. These college games, they're always like down down to the last minute. You know, yeah. it was like the, like the football. I mean, like football this year was incredible. You know, oh with man, the, uh, with the playoffs, I Dude, mean, it was is insane. Everything went down to a field goal. At the, the playoffs last this year in NFL might have been probably the best set of playoffs I've ever watched since I've been I watching agree. football. I, I think, agree, and I've been watching a lot longer than you have. So. <laughs> you only had two games that were blowouts. I think it was the right. the Rams and the Cardinals, and then the, the Tampa Bay beating Philly a little bit pretty easily. But other than right. that, like you said, everything else was down to the wire, even on down to the Super Bowl. I know it was unbelievable. It was great. It was a great. It was a great uh, game to watch. Who would and you pull him for? Watch man, this is is incredible. I just love watching. It's it's so much fun. Who would you pull him for in the Super Bowl? Uh. Well, uh, I, I I wanted the Rams to win, but it'd be, yeah, I, I guess I was pulling for the Rams. I kind of wanted the Bengals to win, but at the same time, I wasn't unhappy that Stafford got him a win because he suffered for a long time in Detroit, right, right, and they didn't right. give him any help, and I knew that was kind of going to be his last hoorah probably, you know, right. so the fact that he got one, I'm, I'm happy with that. I think Joe will probably be back with the Bengals. I mean, they got a good team, and they got a good thing going there. A lot of young guys, too. Right, right. So that's going to be a uh, a couple of years. They're going to be going to be fighting for the Super Bowl. So yeah. So yeah. No, I, I was glad the Rams. Well, uh, we'll get down to it, man. Uh, like I said, you were in one of probably my favorite show of all time. A lot of people's favorite show of all time. But that my ain't where you. <laughs> that's not where you started at. Now you started, you know, years before that, and you kind of went through some different mo some movies, some TV shows, and we'll, we'll browse over that a little bit. Cause there's one film in particular I want to ask you about, but let's start with the beginning. Like, where did you grow up as a kid? I grew up in Brooklyn, Dyka Heights, uh, in Brooklyn, New York. And, uh, I actually moved back there. Uh, I'm, I'm just where I am right now. I moved back. Okay. I live one block from where I was born. Wow. So I moved back about two a year and a half ago. Okay. Back to my roots. Now at an early age, did like you have an acting bug or you know, was you in like the plays and stuff in school or not not really? Um, well, in grammar school I was in plays. You know, I played the B in uh 
and uh, uh, the B in uh, what was the name of that play? It was a Ferdinand and the Ferdinand and the B. It was a bull and a B. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I played Plymouth Clock Moore. That was one of those. Uh, uh, it was a uh, that was an interesting play. I wanted to be Scrooge in uh, in uh, Christmas Carol, but they cast me as Tiny Tim, and I was a ham back in the eighth grade. I was only twelve. I was I skipped the grade and uh, and I started school when I was four, so I was two years ahead. So I was very young and very small. I was like four foot eleven, okay. but I wanted to play Scrooge. I always wanted to be the lead. And uh, so when I came out for the, uh, I, I played Tiny Tim. So when I came out for the uh, curtain call, I came out on the crutch. So I got a standing ovation. But oh. no, I never, I never were in plays in high school or college or nothing. I never had any, any inclination that I would become an actor. No, and nobody in my family, nothing. So it's, when it's very strange that I became an actor. Yeah. So it's, when did that kind of start being something that you started pursuing? Because a lot of guys, a lot of actors that I've talked to, you know, they started, they kind of got the bug at a younger age doing plays and, and stuff like that. But well, then, like you said, some people catch it later. How did that start for you? I was, uh, I, I graduated uh, from Fordham with a uh, uh, BA in, in math and from NYU with an MS in operations research and CUNY. Uh, City University with a PhD in uh, data processing. So I went to work for Bell Labs, uh, I, which is the top think tank in the country. I was kind of a, you know, a, a, a big candidate for that. And I got a job and I was very excited. I got married at the same time. Uh, so us Italian boys, we went from, uh, in, in those days, you went from your mother's house to your, to your wife's yeah. to live with your wife. <laughs> There was no living on your own. So um, everything was new, new car, new apartment, new job. And when I went to work at Bell Labs, I was not that happy. I think what was what it was, was I was an academician most of my life. So uh, I, I didn't understand, you know, nine to five was an was an un, unknown entity to me. Right. Uh, creating your own work was an unknown entity. And I just, you know, and I didn't like being at work when it got dark. So. So I, uh, I would come home every day and complain, uh, that I, you know, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I made the right choice. I don't know what I can be, but blah, 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 blah. So I came home every day, complaining, complaining, complaining. And then one day, uh, this is, that was started in July and like one day in November, this is all this months of complaining, uh, but going to work and doing my job, you know, I was, I was a good, a good employee. But uh, I woke up one day and said, I could be an actor. That's what I can be. And I have no idea why. I don't know where the idea came from. It was not in my existence. I had no, I had no reference to it. I just woke up. And then, and then I, I, uh, my, uh, my, my wife at the time said to me, uh, why don't you go study with Lee Strasberg? I didn't know who he was. She knew more about him than I did. And I, I, Italian, I said, after the holidays. So the holidays came and went and I called the Strasbourg Institute and I went down there for an interview and I spoke to the uh, receptionist and she was very, very uh, hot on getting me to go to a class right then. And I promised her that I would go to class. I promised I would join and I would go to class. Uh, years later, she said that she, she just wanted me to go. She didn't want me to walk away for whatever reasons. She had this instinct, whatever it was. Yeah, gut feel. So in those days, uh, Strasburg had a, had a uh, uh, Strasburg gave a lecture at Carnegie Hall on Monday, 
And then you had two method exercises classes on Tuesday and Thursday for, for two hours each. So being a very naive person, I w- lived in Brooklyn, worked in Jersey, and figured that I would get to Manhattan, leaving Jersey at five o'clock, get to Manhattan, park my car, and get to uh, get to, um, to to the lecture by six o'clock, which was in Carnegie Hall. Needless to say, I got I got the uh, parking space. I did on 50, 57th and 6th Avenue, and I walked up the block. It was about 6.15. I got to the door of Carnegie Hall, and I said, what the hell are you doing? You know, you're afraid that you, maybe you're going to fail, that you're not going to succeed, or maybe you're afraid of success in the computer field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what are you going to tell your friends? You go to acting school. This is, this is like something you could brag about. So I turned around. I started walking away. I got to the... Uh, Little Carnegie Theater, which is no longer there, next to the Russian Tea Room. And I stopped and I said to myself, you know, you've been a mathematician. You've been a computer scientist, uh, all because when Sputnik went up, there was a lot of money in math and science. And you've never really made a decision as to what you wanted to do with your life. So this might be your destiny and you could be throwing it right out the window if you keep walking. And I said to myself. You're right. I turned around. I walked back. I listened to Strasburg's lecture. The next day, I went to an exercise class. I walked in. I sat down, and they were doing method exercises. There were six people on a stage, apparently unaware of each other. I didn't know what was going on. Um, one one uh, actor was doing a pain exercise. I thought they should have called a, called a doctor because I really believed it. <laughs> <laughs> and I sat back, and I said, I'm home. This is where I belong. And from that first class on, I've had a passion for acting that has, has never, never, never died. And it, it still exists today. Now, I want to talk a little bit about your first film. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but in the little research that I did, you were doing a play and you were spotted by the producers of that film and they wanted you to play, what was it, Don't Go in the House, right? The lead in Don't Go in the House? Correct, correct. Uh, it wasn't that I was spotted by the producers. The producer, director, writer, and I went to acting school together. Okay, so you already knew him. I knew him, yes. Okay. But he came to the play three times to validate my talent. And uh, we and then and then I, I was given the part. But it was it, it, he really uh, put me through um, a validation, uh, a validation. Uh, it wasn't just, you're my friend, you're going to have the part. Right. So now I've, I've seen a little bit of don't go in the house. And so <laughs> if that's what he wanted you to play, what I don't know is what the hell kind of play you were doing for him to pitch you in that role. <laughs> Cause that's a I little doing, bit different. I was doing a play called mama's little angels written by Louis LaRusso, the third and um, I just played the older brother of an Italian family who wanted revenge against his father who killed his mother. So, uh, okay. no, it was just that it was a it was a kitchen kitchen play. And it was a very, very good play. LaRusso was a great writer. Rest in peace. And I did a lot of his work, but uh, it was my first off Broadway lead. And uh, I, I did it with Janet Sarno, Matt Landers. Rest in peace. Uh, uh, Ray Serra. Rest in peace. And that was in 1978. Uh, and I did that for six months. So uh, the part of Donnie Cola, um, no, that was not based <laughs> on the part of, of, of Mama's, in Mama's Little Angels. Now, what did you 
read the script? Did they give you the script? They just said they wanted you on this part. How did that work? I mean, at some point you had to read that script and got to think, whoa, now this is a little something different. When you're a young actor and you're, you're, and even an old actor, when a part comes along where you're a lead or you're, uh, you're to be showcased in any way, got to jump on uh, it. You grab it. Yeah. You, now, you and what a lot of people don't know if you've not seen this movie, cause it is a little older, but this was kind of like a slasher film before slasher films got real big. This was like, this is pre Friday the 13th if I'm not mistaken. Right. You're not mistaken. It was the top grocer in the country. It outgrossed the shining. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, I, I, it was a horror film, but I kept yeah. selling it as a psychological thriller because he was a victim of abuse. Right. So I didn't, I didn't want to be my first film to be a horror film, but it was, it was a horror film, but I kept saying it's a psychological thriller because <laughs> it's based on an abused child. So, and you were basically, I'll let you tell kind of give us a brief story of what your character done in that movie. And from what I understand, I think you even kept the suit that you wore. When you were using the flamethrower, is that accurate? Where did you hear that? I can't reveal all my sources, man, but they said you kept the suit that you used when you're. I did. I I had it in my garage for years. Then I realized asbestos was bad for you. It was an asbestos suit. Well, Donnie Cola was an abuse, was abused as a child. His mother would burn him when he was bad. And she was a religious nut and said, you know, she was burning the evil out of him. And as with most uh, abuse cases, uh, you know, you were abused as a child and then you carry it on. Mm -hmm. So he he became uh, psychologically an abuser and he picked up women. It was it was a great ad for for young girls not to get in cars, no matter how the guy looked. Yeah. Or how nice he was not to get in the car. Back then there were no cell phones, don't forget. This yeah. This is 1980. So he would pick up women and lure them into his house, and then he would burn them to death with a flamethrower. <laughs> he would dress in an asbestos suit. He would pour uh, – he built a room. He built a steel room, and he would tie them naked, uh, and then he would burn them to death with a uh, flamethrower, and he had an asbestos suit. And I did keep <laughs> – I did. <laughs> I did keep the suit and I really I had it for years and years and years. And I really I, I always wish I would have kept it because it could have been a great Halloween costume. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool, man. Well, if anybody ha- out there, I know we have a lot of horror movie fans because we've interviewed a few stars from horror movies on our show. If you've never seen that, it's worth a look, because like I said, it was I want to say cutting, I can use the phrase cutting edge at the time because it was more that shock value before you got your Freddy's and Jason's and and stuff like that. So it was kind of started that trend. It laid the groundwork for a lot of what your slashers will become later on. Like you said, it outsold the shining. The special effects of the, of the girl being the first girl being burned. It only goes out of out of out of uh, focus uh, just for a split second. Yeah, and for the 1980, it was a spectacular effect, really, when you think about. It. Yeah, you know, for uh, she she really does look like she's burning to death. Yeah, which is horrific, but you know, in terms of in terms of creative special effects, it was really great. Yeah. Um. Now your next one, Junk Man. Ah. You're really going back in time. Now, (laughs) I'm a big H.B. Halaki fan. Always have been. I am. A lot of people, when they hear Gone in 60 Seconds, they're like, oh, you know, Nicolas Cage. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This goes back way before that. 
you know, he was a, he was a sweetheart and he believed, you know, he had he had a junkyard and he had yeah. he had 100 classic cars. Uh, he uh, well, and I think he was I think basically he was a car thief. Yeah, <laughs> but he was a sweetheart and he believed he could make films better than the studio. Yeah. And unfortunately, he was killed. You know, he died yeah. on the set. But I had a great relationship with him. Uh, I made uh, Junkman and then... Uh, Gone and in then 60 I Seconds 2, I think it was. Yeah, 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 the two movies. And, uh, you know, that was when I was out in California trying to look for work. And he was a sweetheart. He really was. I, I really, I really uh, liked Toby a lot. He was, he, I liked working for him. And everybody in his, everybody that worked for him was in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I was looking through the IMDb's of them, a lot of the same names was popping up. But see, I was able to find all those on, when I seen the original Gone to see, or excuse me, when I seen the remake, when I started doing research, I'm the type of guy when I see something, I'll go and research it and kind of research about it. When I seen it was a remake, well, I was like, all right, well, let me go track down this remake. So I got that one, then I got the Junk Man, then Gone to 60 Seconds too. So I had all these on DVD years and years ago, way early. And so I yeah. looked into a lot of his stories and like when he would put these movies in the theaters, he had a guy, I don't know, maybe you know him, I don't know, but they called him Big Tiny that he would send around to collect his money. He'd be like, Mr. Halaki wants his money for the movie being in the theater. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm familiar with this story. I think that, I think it was the junk man until like Oh three held, or maybe 2013. I can't remember. They held like the record for most car crashes and airplane oh, crashes in a movie. I was going to say the reason he, I mean, he crashed a car, but he had a, he had a junkyard. So yeah. they would fix the car and it'd be back, you know, back on the, back on the set the next day. <laughs> you know, so, so he had, and, and he had a collection of, of, of classic cars. He yeah. loved cars. I mean, he loved cars, but there was a, that was uh, don't go in, uh, not don't go in the house, but the junk man was like, there was a 20 minute car chase yeah. with it. And the chickens were flying and it was, <laughs> but, it, and, and Hoyt Axton, was a lot of fun. Hoyt Axton was my partner in that. Yeah. And uh, we had a lot of fun and they were all, you know, they all drove Jaguars. I'm, I'm driving around in a, a beat up old Ford and they're driving <laughs> Jaguars and, and they had, a, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun making those movies. I bet y'all did. But like I said, when their car crashed, it was back in the shop. It was out on the, out on the, on the lot, on the lot the next day. Yeah, they it, it said was, he crashed cars all the time. And like you said, ultimately did wind up, you know, passing away from a car crash, but probably could have went a lot sooner from things I've read about him because he would crash cars all the time. Yeah, he was, he was a character. He was a character. He was a good, he was a good, he was a good man. He really was. He was a good man. He was a, he was from another generation. You know? For sure. Whole different, whole different uh, lifestyle. Well, rest in peace to him for sure. Like I said, also, I think- I'll, if I'm not sure, you probably know, but his wife was involved with the remake. If I believe, if I remember correctly, I think she sold the rights. Yes, I think so. Like that. Something yeah. to, like because when it came out, I was I was the same way. I Toby may go gone in sixty seconds. The 20, 25 years ago. So. Yeah. Well, see, back in those times, it wasn't quite as easy to get on and, and find out all this information. So a lot of stuff right. like even now, if I'm watching a movie now. And I'm curious about it. I hadn't seen it in a couple of years. I'll go and I'll pull up like a research page. And I, I like to see like how things were done, issues they might have run into on the set, 
you know, problematic scenes, stuff like that. And this was right. even before I done this show. I just read it because I like to read it. I'm the kind I'm, I look through, I watch a movie with the commentary to hear the director and actors talk. You know, I'm just, I've always been that type of guy and yeah, just funny. to get that information. So that's when I found out about, you know, there being the other one and then went back and got them all. And I wish I had the cases for you. I'd show them to you. But I, when I made room for this little studio here, I boxed up all my cases and I've now got the, just the discs and like the big folders. So they're somewhere right. in the attic. I said, well, it'd take me all damn day to try <laughs> to find those. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. You're bringing it back. Those were good memories. I bet it was, man. I, I remember watching those things. I was like, I bet these guys had a ball filming this. Well, I mean, did. that's we like just like every actor, especially guy actor's dream. Just go out here and just wreck cars and not not give a damn. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes it was scary because we like to drive very fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and we were we were we were in that uh, ravine in in L.A. And you, you couldn't put your elbow out of the car because you'd you'd, you'd hit the wall. He was that close <laughs> to the wall. And it was scary. It was scary at times. I was I wouldn't say it because I was too macho, but I was scared. Scared. <laughs> I was frightened. <laughs> so, so you go on. You do a lot. You you stay pretty busy. You're in TV shows. You're in movies here and there. But your big kind of monumental role comes when the Sopranos rolls around. That's what, you know, you're going to be known for, for here on out and forever. I mean, unless you run up on something else, another one, but I just don't know if there's going to be another Sopranos. No, there'll never be be another show as good as the Sopranos. I don't think I, I I really don't. Uh, What I tell people is the writing was the best writing in television history. You go back to the fifties when, when a TV was in New York, and Patty Chayetsky and playwrights and every actor, you know, Marlon Brando, Steve McQueen, they were all on TV shows. And that was the golden age of television. And it went to L.A. and it just was watered down quite a bit. But the Sopranos actually exceeded that kind of writing. And, and the writing is what really makes the Sopranos so superior. Uh, I mean, it's without a doubt uh, the best written show in the history of television. And I give all the credit. David Chase, genius. And all of the writers, just uh, uh, Robin Green, Mitch, uh, Mitch uh, Burgess, and uh, and uh, Terry Winter. Terry Winter, yeah. So many, so many great guys that uh, that work, guys and girls that worked as as writers, and and we just had the best writers in the the best writers in history. So, how did that come along for you? Yes, how did that opportunity be, not? Yeah. It, it, was, so how did that opportunity well, there come was along for an audition for, you? for uh, my first? Okay. My first audition was for uh, Sunshine, the car deal, right? So, oh uh, yeah, yeah, and and it was and uh, a famous director got it. I forget his name, but I I was disappointed. I'm glad I didn't get it, but I was disappointed that of course I didn't get it. And uh, then the part of uh, the part of Philly was being auditioned, and at that point, every actor in America wanted to be on this on the Sopranos because it had it it had one season in, and it was a big hit. Mm-hmm. So I auditioned for Philly and I, I got the part and it was three days work and I was very happy. I had that long monologue in the car. Yep. It looked like I was going to be a big character. And in four minutes I was dead. Yeah. So, so when we shot at Alan Coulter, who was became one of my angels, I said to Alan, do you think you could uh, not kill me? And he said, Danny, sometimes, you know, the best thing that happens to people on this show is they get killed. I said, I, I, I don't see how, Alan, but maybe you could miss. So, so, but that didn't happen. But what did happen, which was uh, why I am really very, very grateful and 
probably the luckiest guy on the show, was that uh, they were in Naples filming filming the Italian uh, scenes, mm-hmm. and uh, I was I, we shot this in in Jersey and New York, and when they came back, uh, they, Chase was looking at the rushes, and this you know he he said this on podcasts and things, and he looked at the rushes and he looked up at the uh, screen and he said, "Who's this guy? I don't want him dead. Why'd I kill him?" And he turned to uh, Terry Winter and he said, "You can use the you can use the uh, the, the twin card once. I'm going to use it." Now I didn't know that. Alan Coulter, Coulter called me after they were in the rushes and he said to me, "Danny, I just want to tell you that um, you know David David loved your work. He loves you. He thinks you were terrific." And I said, "Thank you very much." And when I got off the phone, I was a- I was a little angry, and my oldest son. Michael said to me, Dad, what are you angry about? I said, Mike, I, you know, praise is great and I love it. I'm glad I get it, but I, I want to work. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't, I need, I need work. And, and so I was, uh, so I waited six months. They kept, they kept being, um, they kept being little, little hints that I might go back. And I told my youngest son, I went to Italy that summer and I told my youngest son, if they call, no matter what time it is, call me. Because I want to know I'm going back. And sure enough, about five o'clock in the morning, I was in Florence and he calls and they said, now you're going back. So I, wow. uh, they created Patsy. And that's that was Patsy did 45 episodes. And he's uh, he's my man. You know? Wow. Now, did so did you have to interview for that part? You said or. Yeah, I auditioned. It was a, a, a single audition and chase. I auditioned for Chase and. uh I went in and I, I, you know, I did the, I did the, I did the sides. I did the, uh, the copy that we were supposed to audition with. And I, I, you love this when somebody says it and he said to me, you got a minute. I I want you to read. uh, I want you to read something else, you know, another scene. And of course, you know, in the back of your head, you say, no, I don't, I'm going to say no. Of course. Yeah. Here's my right arm. You want it. (laughs) So he, so I, I figured at that point, there were about 25 guys auditioning for the part. And I was like in the middle. So I figured, okay, so I guess I, I, I beat out the guys ahead of me, but there's still 12 guys to go. So I didn't know. And later on, they called me and told me I had the part, which was, uh, which was very exciting. I mean, I was very excited and very grateful to be Philly. To be Patsy is beyond gratitude. I am just, I am just so lucky and so, so grateful to, that he created Patsy. And I'm very grateful to Chase for my career on The Sopranos. Yeah. Now was George Ann Walken in there too? Yes, yes, she yeah, she was the one that, you know, she she was the casting director that allowed me to have the have the audition. She my agent submitted me and George Ann Walken uh uh and she was very proud because I was like, you know, I she had found me, quote unquote, and then I became a character that he loved. So Now, am I correct? <laughs> Is that Christopher Walken's wife? Yes, you are absolutely correct. Yes, wow. you are. Well, I guess being married to him, she knows a thing or two about spotting some good actors. She's around one quite a bit. <laughs> oh yeah. She know nobody nobody reads a line better than Chris Walker. Yeah. Nobody nobody can. <laughs> He's definitely got his own style, but I mean done a ton yeah, of good work. Right. You know, King of he New does. York, Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. I mean all all this I can go on for days. I saw him off, I saw him off Broadway in a play called Kid Champion back in I don't know, you know, the early seventies or whatever before he became famous and he was great then. And, yeah. and you know, you just knew it. You could see it. You could feel it. So now we interviewed John Fiore on the show. And I got to tell you, he said his favorite scene 
was clipping you right off the bat. He said that was his favorite scene, was in the car, and he's like, you know, I had met Dad, talked to him that day, and I think he did say everybody else was in Italy. He, I think he said that too. And y'all done the scene, and he said, well, you know, I had to shoot him. And I said, you know, watching that, and I'm not saying I've ever had an experience doing this, but just you knew that had to be loud in the car. So whenever he did it, the first thing he did is he covers his ears, and I'm like, I don't know if they dubbed that sound in later or exactly how it was, but it was – it was good it was the way loud. he did it. it was and and they told me to make sure I shut my eyes because you never know if there's little pieces of shrapnel flying around. Right. So I was told, you know, turn your head, but make sure you shut your eyes. Then put close your eyes. So I had to shut them before you could see it. You know, I didn't want you know you didn't want it to be seen. So uh, yeah, yeah, it was loud. It was loud. It was ringing in our ears afterwards. <laughs> it was very loud. Now John and I, great friends. I mean, mm-hmm. from that moment on, we you know and. And, and when Patsy was created, John or Gigi was a character that continued for a couple of a uh, couple of seasons. And every day, we every week, we would say, "You think I'm going to get killed this week?" It was like we were really in the mob. It was like we didn't know if we were going to get killed or not. Yeah. And the one thing, the one thing was, which was my joy, and uh, which I really always wanted, was I wanted to be standing at the end, and that yeah. happened. Uh, Patsy was alive at the end. One of the few. That uh, that made it through the series. Yeah, what you, Tony, and Paulie, I think, was about to really the only ones that made it. Yeah, that's it. And Silvio is in the hospital. Yeah, he's in the, he's in the coma. You don't know if he's coming out or not. Doesn't look good, but you know, it was a, it was one of my one of my dreams, and it came true. And I was very happy for that to be one of the last men standing. Yeah, I know. He even mentioned that uh, the joke whenever you started having that arc where you were a little pissed at Tony and well, actually you went and you pissed in his pool. As a matter of fact, <laughs> he said, that was like, I guess I didn't know how you, if you guys got the script or if y'all got them, you know, a little bit of time, but he was like, it's looking like you're going to have to kill me again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the thing. You know, you never knew. You never knew from yeah. day to day when you were going to get killed. It's, you know, like when he got elevated, when uh, John Fury, when Gigi got elevated and he was, he was on a collision course with Ralphie. Yep. And I knew Ralphie had a two-year contract, so uh, you knew Gigi was going to go yeah. so, at some point, and that was that was sad. But, um, uh, you know, and peeing in the pool was funny. When I read the script, we didn't get the scripts ahead of time. We got them, you know, weekly. We, we would, if, you're in, if you were in the episode, you weren't in the episode, I was a fan just like you. I'd watch it. I didn't know what was going on. But when I got the first episode, peeing in the pool, I was actually delighted because I said, that's what people are going to know me for. I'm the guy <laughs> who peed in Tony's pool and I can always introduce myself. If they don't, if they don't, if, if they don't recognize me, they'll know who, he, who that is. <laughs> so yeah, the FBI is up there in the tree and they're looking, he's like, who the hell is that? That's Patsy Bruce. He's peeing in the pool. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> and it's like, it, it, it's like when I hit the guy over the head with the, uh, with the pipe, uh, my father, my father was a longshoreman and his, and his, uh, his nickname was lead pipe Louie. Ah. And he used to carry a lead pipe. And when, and when I saw that, I, 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 I freaked out. I told Chase, you have no idea what this means to me. <laughs> you know, you know, having a lead pipe, like my father carried when he was, when he was young, that's it. It's crazy. Who are you Ralph Bunch over here? And that's when you got <laughs> And, you know, it's funny because I, I told Chase when we read that script after the table read, I said to him, you know, the only people that know who Ralph Bunch is, 
is me, you, and the writer. <laughs> he said, I know. That's okay. Because they wrote, those writers wrote for themselves. They didn't cater to what the mentality of what might be. Right. They wrote so that, and the, the great thing about The Sopranos is that no matter what your, your, your intelligence level, you get something out of it, no matter who you are, whether you're a, you're, you know, you're a Mensa or, or you're, uh, you know, someone who's not, not that, that, uh, that high in, in your, in your intelligence quotient, mm-hmm. you still got something out of the Sopranos. I always said, when I peed in the pool, if, if you were a certain type of person, you said, ah, the guy was drunk. You had to go to the bathroom. If you were somebody else, you would say, no, he was impotent. He couldn't shoot the guy. So this is the best he could do to violate it. Yeah. So it was on so many levels. The Sopranos is written. And that's why it's such a great show too. adding to, you know, the great dialogue and the characters and everything else. The yeah. plots, the dialogue in there is something else. And I laugh. I, I rewatch this show all the time. And when I, I tell, I've told a few guys a story, I was already a fan. And when I met my wife, one of the first times she come over to my house ever, I'm watching the show or the episode where they killed Ralphie. And they've already killed Tony's already killed him and they got him upstairs in the tub and he goes to grab his head and the toupee comes off. And this is like almost right time. She gets in there and I'm like, Oh, it's my favorite show the Sopranos. So she sits on the couch or watching and she's kind of looking at, and then he chops his head off and then puts it in a bowling bag. And she's just, you know, looking at me and then they chop the hands off. And she's like, do you want to go somewhere? Like, and turn this off or I don't know what you got going on here, but the crazy part, you fast forward. Now we've been together almost 20 years and she's actually a school counselor. So the counseling part, she loves between Tony and Melfi. So she watches oh, it with me now when I, when yeah. I rewatch it, she rewatches it, but just the dialogue in there. Cause one of them I seen, it was a matter of fact, I seen it today where Tony's admitting to Carmela that he's going to therapy and she's like, oh, I'm so happy you're going. I'm so happy it is. And he's like, well, geez, you think I was Hannibal Lecture before. Hannibal Lecture <laughs> instead of Hannibal. They do those things, those little nuances. And uh, right. what was his name? He was the worst at it. Um, Carmine Jr. Yes, Carmine Jr. Good Lord. He, he, Ray Abruzzi. Yeah. Ray yeah. <laughs> he, that dude made me laugh every time he was on there. <laughs> <laughs> because he did everything so seriously. You know, Ray's a great actor. Yeah. And he did everything. He, he carried those lines so seriously. They have to make you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and and Polly. You, know, you know, the Sopranos is a comedy at its heart. It it's, is. It really is. It's, it's a comedy mixed in with some gangster. Right. It's really a comedy. And it's about every man. It's, you know, a guy has, the guy has problems at work and problems at home. Yeah. And that's, that's why it's so relatable because Tony Soprano is really every man. The only thing is he solves his problem by killing people. And we can't do that. Correct. That you can't relate to. Now, Paulie is another character in there. You never, the only guy you really had run-ins with, I guess, or problems with Chrissy for a short (laughs) period of time. You pretty much got along with everybody there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Patsy was a pretty, pretty affable guy. He was quiet, you know, and I, you know, I, I created him completely different from Philly. Philly was a loud mouth. So Patsy was a quiet man. And right. You know, you know yourself. The guy, to, the guy to be afraid of is the guy that's quiet. Guy. Yeah, the guy that don't talk. His mouth off is uh, is got shoots his mouth. Off. The quiet guy in the corner, you don't know what's going on in his mind. So yeah. that's that's what I was hoping for. 
Yeah, I think and the Paulie, I was Paulie's, uh, you know, right hand man. Yeah, and I I knew uh, I knew Tony Sirico since we were young. You know, we grew up in he grew up in Brooklyn, not far from. We were not far away from each other. We we kind of knew each other uh, through the years. We were, and that that goes for a lot of people on The Sopranos. A lot of us were we worked together or we knew each other uh, because a lot of people have been around uh, the acting business for quite a while. Okay. Yeah. Tony Sirico has got a heck of a story. I mean, he was, you know, real deal mob guy for a, a little while there until he went to, well, he done a couple of stints in the can, but I think he said one time in there, they'd done like a play in there. And then that kind of got yeah. him in the bug of acting. Yeah. That's how he got interested in, in, in acting. And then he pursued it when he got out. Yeah. yeah. I'll see things like, like I'll go back and I watched the movie. There was a movie called dead presidents. Uh, it was a really good movie, had Lorenz Tate in it. And, uh, basically where they robbed an armored truck and at the end of it, Chris Tucker's in it. And I guess they're starting to find the guys and they run in and Chris Tucker's like laying there with the heroin needle in his arm. He's overdosed at this time. And like that lead cop is Paulie, the cop ah, that goes yeah. in. I don't even know if he has a speaking part. He just goes in yeah. and then he's like the first well, guy you, you know, see. We, we all start outside doing extra work and, and learning about the camera and that it, it, I, I taught acting. Uh, I taught acting at the Lee Strasberg Institute. I taught in uh, my own classes. And uh, it, I always, one of the things I, I, I would tell my students is, you know, go, go to work as an extra, go to work at, you know, do, do student films because you'll learn more about yeah. uh, the, the film acting by doing it than you will in a classroom. So go yeah. out to do that. So, so we all, as much we energy. all start somewhere. Yeah, soak up yeah. as much knowledge and information as you can. This is a passion yeah. of yours. Even if you don't got a speaking part, if you're a background, an extra, right. it doesn't matter what it is. Go soak, yeah. see how other watch other people doing it. Exactly. And that's what I would tell my students. I did it myself. That's what I did. Yeah. You know, I did extra work for about a year. And, and after a year, I said, well, that's enough. I'm not going to do it anymore. But I learned a lot about film. I mean, I didn't know, I didn't take courses in film acting. And so that helped me a great deal. Like at, just as you said, watching, watching good actors work and mm -hmm. learning from that. So now, you got paid, you got paid to go to school. So. Yeah. And those things are a little, I guess the pay scale is a little different and I'm not a, really a hundred percent on that. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like an extra is on one certain set of pay scale. But once you open your mouth and you have any sort of a speaking part that bumps you to another scale. Is that correct? Exactly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bumps your way up. Bro, okay. Yeah. Makes you a day player. It's a, you know, an extra an extra is just background, so you get paid. I mean, it's not, not it's not like you get nothing, but it's it's not what you get when you're uh, when you're a day player when right. you have a speaking role. Right. Okay. So and now it's weekly. It's daily, weekly, and then it's uh, you know, regular and recurring. There's all kinds of levels that you reach, and salary is compensatory with that. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I live here in Charleston, South Carolina, and they film oh, a lot of stuff down place. here. Yeah, it is. What a beautiful place! <laughs> I it love is. Charleston. It's beautiful. It is. It's nice, and they they're starting to film a lot of stuff down here. Um, Danny McBride. I don't know if you know who Danny McBride is. He done the, I know the uh, name. he yeah. done the HB show uh, Eastbound and Down, like the baseball right. player. I mean, he's yeah. been in a ton of movies, Pineapple Express, all kind of stuff. Very very funny guy. But he started doing stuff more behind the camera, and they filmed the recent, uh, not the most recent one, but the one before that, the reboot of Halloween. I know it was Halloween, like, 57 or whatever number they're on. But the one where they brought back Jamie Lee Curtis, 
and they had right, it. Right, that right. was shot down here in Charleston. And then they right. used a lot of local guys. I actually have one of the local guys on the show. He lives here. He was in the first movie and in the second one that they had out last year. Um, he also filmed, I don't know if you've heard of the show, Righteous Gemstones, about that TV angelic family that I, I haven't ever actually sat and watched the show, but it looks pretty crazy. But it's basically like those TV evangelists you see on TV yeah. from back in right. the day. It's, it's something like that. And a lot of people say it's very good. I'm, I don't have a lot of free time here lately to watch a lot of stuff, but they say it's very funny. And he films that down here in Charleston. So a lot of stuff gets filmed down here. Yeah, a lot of stuff is getting filmed in a lot of different places out of, outside of New York and L.A. Because of the tax breaks and right. uh, the weather and, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. But that, that it's good to see that, you know, regionally that things are being done because, you know, actors need work everywhere. Yeah. You know, right. And so, the, and so the crew people and, and a lot of them are located in those areas. So that, that's good. That's yeah. a good thing. There's a Netflix a show. In Atlanta, yeah. Lots in Atlanta. And uh, so, so that's good. South Carolina is a great place. Yeah. The, there's a Netflix show, the outer banks. I think a lot of that is shot around here locally. So right. yeah, a lot of good opportunities for people. Like I said, even if you just put in to go be an extra, just to kind of see the experience and see what it's like, right, and right, right. you know, get that. Now, one of the other more famous scenes that you had that I like was when you had to take a car ride with Gloria <laughs> Trillo. Oh yeah. Now oh, yeah. her, her real name escapes me right now. What was, what's her real Annabella, name? Annabella Shior. Shior. That's right. Annabella Shior. So that was in season three. I think if I'm not mistaken. And cause that was when he had that whole deal going. I remember that because of the Pine Barrens episode, he was with Gloria during the Pine Barrens. And I know Pine Barrens was in season three. You have to take her off into a car lot and basically deliver this message that she needs to leave Tony the hell alone. Right. You delivered that so cold, so callous, so scary <laughs> that I'm just like, damn, I'd have been scared to be in that car. But now I don't want to underplay her role either because she, oh, in the beginning, fantastic. was just like, if I'm not back in 20 minutes, they're going to call the cops. And you're just looking like, I mean, it was fantastic. How did you guys, did y'all rehearse that any, you know, very much? I mean, you played it both great. You you know, you don't rehearse that much. You rehearse a little bit. And um, Annabella is a fantastic actress. She's been one most of her life. And she's a great, you know, we're friends and and she's a terrific actress. Um, The, uh, we, we, I shot, I, I shot my close up with uh with an assist with an assistant director she wasn't there when i shot my close okay I, I was there with her close up but when and um my direction from chase all he said to me was you're giving her a gift a life and yeah that's that was the direction and and that's what i i ran with it you know so it was uh it's been said that it's probably the scariest scene in the whole series it's, it's definitely of one way, of them because the way he handled himself and then he goes and then his wife is yelling at him as what he's supposed to buy from the grocery store you know (laughs) well it's just cool because the way you ended it too it's like you know and my face will be the last one you see not tony's and it won't be cinematic you didn't go into glory detail it wasn't like a i'll kill you just plain threat but that it won't be cinematic just let her know everything she needed to know right well that's the writing you know, yeah, that's the writing. They, they 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 wrote those lines, and 
we just deliver them. You know, yeah. I mean, we we give some, we we elevate them, but but they they they're pearls of wisdom. They really are. Because there they wasn't too food. much ad libbing on that show, right? That y'all don't, y'all weren't allowed to vary. Zero, yeah. zero, zero. Uh, we had to say words as written, and you know, I worked for Louis Larusso, who I mentioned, and like I said, he passed away. But uh, my first play, Mama's Little Angels, uh, he he when I, after I did the play. He's he we had a lot of conversation. One of the things he said, do you know, I sweat over every word. He said, I really do. Writers really do devote a lot of time to every word. And the only time I will say when I have the fight with Christopher and uh, I, I spit uh, the script said he uh, uh, Patsy spits. He has the bat. He spits. And I, I said to the director, I said, you know, when we spit, we usually curse. We usually say, to you bastard. Or, my father used to say, to you dirty bastard, which I forgot at the moment. <laughs> so I said, you know, can I say something? And they made like six phone calls up to David Chase. And Chase said it was okay. And so it, it took a lot to change. The only person who could have any ad-libbing was Tony, was, was Jimmy. Jimmy yeah. was the only one that had. And even then, he didn't do it very much. Word written, word spoken. That's that was the rule on the Sopranos. Now let's let's touch on Jimmy for a minute and rest in peace to him. But yeah, damn, what a fantastic actor. Yep, and a, and a fantastic man too. Just yeah, just a, a, a terrific, terrific talent that we lost, but a really generous man to a fault. And you know, he didn't like fame. Uh, the money was good, but he yeah. didn't like the fame. And uh, he was just generous with everybody. He's sweet. You would see him six o'clock in the morning, maybe hungover, and he would never turn down an autograph. He would never turn down a picture. He was always generous to the fans. Uh, like those of us from the, the older generation, the fans are our paycheck. We love the fans. Um, and uh, he was just wonderful with, with people. And on the set, uh, I mean, he would, there was sushi night every Friday night. He would buy the crew sushi every Friday night. He was just a very generous, very loving, loving person. Yeah. I mean, just the fantastic guy and movies he had done before that, you know, the, with the Mexican and I'll tell you a movie that I really liked that he'd done, uh, that don't get mentioned a whole lot was eight millimeter. I thought he played oh, yeah. great in eight millimeter. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. And then what, he was in True Romance. Wasn't he in True Romance as well? Yeah, that, that's what that's part of what got him the part in right. The Soprano. Yeah, True Romance. And then he was a the violence that he showed in, in yeah. True Romance. Was it Be Cool or I don't know what, where he played Bear or whatever? Right. Like, I think it was yeah. Be Cool. I, the name of that one, yeah. I mean, just oh. such range. Yeah. He was a third he was a third lead and he was he was working and you know, he was riding his bicycle around the village and bartending. And, and then once the Sopranos hit, that was the end of all of that stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> which is, which is a good thing, but it's also a burden that you have to bear when you're that famous. Yeah. It comes with a, especially, you know, a character like he portrayed in there. There's a lot of interviews where he says, you know, look, I'm nothing like my character. I'm very mm-hmm. boring. I'm very plain. You know, nothing. Well, but, he wasn't boring, but he, but he was nothing like Tony Soprano, except that, the temper. He did have that kind of temper. <laughs> I watched some behind the scenes stuff where I think it was, I don't know if it was Christopher he was doing it too, but they were in the hospital. And I think it was like when he grabbed him and slammed him up against the wall 
and he kept trying to do it over and over. And he's just like, stop. He's like, this fucking turning thing doesn't work. And he's like walking <laughs> off the scene. I'm just like, he's really into that boy. I mean, it was yeah. just, oh, no, he was a, he was a, he was a, a very, very crafted actor. I mean, he was, he believed in his craft. He worked at it. Uh, you know, the first two seasons, he never had a day off. And on the weekends, he had to learn all the lines. It was, it was not an easy job. Uh, and he delivered it magnificently. Yes. Uh, and, you he know, did. so, so we, we we miss him, and uh, he was uh, he would have given us much more much more joy through his acting and through his life. You know, you know, and uh, you know we miss him. He the, was a great guy. The new movie that came out, The Many Saints of Newark. They had his son play him, and mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll get to that in just a second of what you thought about the movie and how you thought it went. But there was a specific scene when he's sitting in there at that table. And I think it's his mom giving him shit about something. And he's sitting, he kind of sits back in that table and, and he does that. And I seen Jimmy, like that was just what he done. When he got pissed, he would do that nose wiping thing and just kind of do that. And I was just like, wow, like he nailed that mannerism to a T and I thought he'd done great in the movie. What did you think of many saints in Newark? I, I, well, I thought, I thought Michael did a great job and I, I, he did study his father's mannerisms. I mean, I'm sure he had some of some of them just naturally yeah. because he was done. But I, he did study his father and he did deliver terrific, terrifically. You know, I, I, I thought the many saints of Newark. You know, they capsulized the, the 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 young. You know, those the young group as they were growing up, and and his father and his uncle. And Uncle Junior, of course, who was a, a beloved character. Oh yeah. So I think I think that many saints did a good job in in re- in creating or giving us the the the, the prior history of of the Sopranos. Yeah, I waited on that thing for so long, man. It got pushed back like umpteen times. It was like every time I thought it was close, and it had another pushback. And I think they went yeah. back and added like. 30 something pages. I don't know what that correlated to as far as screen time, but I added like 30 pages of dialogue because of COVID and you know, everything, but I I enjoyed it. Uh, I know it's it's kind of, some people are hit and miss, but I'm just like, you know, this was a tale from how things came to be. It wasn't like another mid episode of Sopranos. It was was a a prequel. It was to show where it all came from. Right. And And, the fact that, Michael played his dad was just outstanding. I don't know if that's ever been done. Maybe it has, but I don't, I don't, I, don't, I can't I think don't, of one. I, don't, I can't either. Um, you mentioned uncle junior, a lot, so many great characters on this show. You can't pinpoint down to one. I mean, you had Nancy Marchand who oh. killed it in the first two seasons, really? you know, Dominic really? playing uncle June, oh. you know, yourself, you know, uh, Silvio Dante, who's a, I forget his real name, uh, Steve Van Zant, you know, Tony Sirico, Christopher Maltesanti played by Michael Imperioli. I mean, so many great, great people all in one show. Who was probably your favorite character? It's a two-part question. Who is your favorite character to work with? And then who is your favorite character just in general on the show? Uh, my favorite character to, to work with? Well, that's, I, I really, everybody, every actor on the show was just a, a joy to work with. I, I really, there was no favorite. I didn't, you know, if I work with somebody, it wasn't, uh, wow, I'm really excited, you know, more excited than working, more excited working with Edie or more excited working with Jimmy or, 
you know, it, it was from the beginning with John as Philly and, and, and with, with Sirico and with, you know, with, with Jimmy, uh, of course, I, I always loved working with Jimmy. I mean, that was, that was, uh, uh, is he, was he my favorite? Probably. Uh, he was a, a little notch above that. I really, yeah. really loved working with him. Uh, my favorite character was Edie. Edie Falco was my favorite character. She's a wonderful, wonderful actress. And it's been said, uh, and and I, I agree that she created the great, best mob wife in the history of film or TV or, or or stage. She was spot on, and her acting and as a person, she is the she is the most wonderful, generous, sweet people you could ever meet. Uh, uh, the the scene with the our last scene, she turned to me and she said. Danny, I'm never going to work. I said, Edie, you'll work forever. I'll never work again. You'll work forever. <laughs> but she just that she's that humble. That's the humility and the, the talent and just the sweetness. Just a wonderful, wonderful woman. And again, I will repeat, it is said, and I agree, that she created the best mob wife, the truest mob wife in the history of TV, film, or or uh, stage. And Edie, Edie was definitely um th- that person to me no i agree 100 percent. i mean before that that pro probably would have went into karen uh or lorraine brocco who was also in the sopranos as dr melfi but yeah right. carmella edie falco just took that character to a whole nother level and i'd seen her when she was on oz in right, the beginning right. as the prison guard <laughs> Uh, well, right. a couple, a lot of people from Oz was uh moved over. I think uh, Father Anton Tola or whatever he he was on Oz for yeah, just a brief yeah. stint. Yeah, Johnny Johnny Sack. Yeah, Johnny Sacramento. Yeah, yeah. Vince Curatola. Vince Curatola. Wait, you know, I started watching the early Law and Orders. Just I wanted to see. Yeah, you know, people when they you the know judge. This, is, this is going back thirty years. You see so many people who became who succeeded in 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 their lives in in the business, but. That was their early starts. You know, I, mm-hmm. I had a couple myself and so did a lot of people. But it's 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 a joy. And and you're going back 30, 35 years. You yeah. Know, way back. So if you get a chance, you watch the early Law and Orders. That's you'll see mm-hmm. you'll see people that you'll recognize later on in life who became successful in the business. And that was another character too. I hadn't spoke about him just because I was kind of focusing, I guess, on the the New, New Jersey family. But Vincent Caratola just killed Johnny Sack as that role. Oh, yeah. I mean, Vince is a, a a terrific actor and a great a great guy. We were we were very close. He was like I'm I'm nine years older than he is, but he was my big brother. He was he was much more knowledgeable in the business than I was, and he was always giving me helpful hints and and helping me out and uh, and. He just did a great job with Johnny Sack. Yeah, so. his his lines, the way he delivered them, the you know, what's this? The fucking you and now? I mean, just that that yelling, almost a little Al Pacino esque. You know how he'll oh, yeah. yell sometimes and right. and deliver those lines. On up until when he died in prison with cancer. You know, right. he's in there and he's like, you know, you got stage four. He's like, so no stage five. And I mean, just. Just a fantastic actor. I can't say enough and, about him. One of and, my favorite characters. And the way, and the way he loved his wife, uh, yeah, which was so believable and so wonderful. Uh, he, he, there was a lot, of, a, a lot of colors that Vince created. Yeah, and uh, as they said, he's a terrific, a terrific guy too. Very, very. 
Yeah, that whole storyline with the Wade and the joke that Ralphie cracked and everything and how close he was to to killing him, that was a good one too. Like when he hired that guy to go down, I think it was in Florida, and he's in the elevator with Ralphie, and that's when he goes back and Jenny's got the candy downstairs and he calls off the hit, and they're like, he's in the elevator with him. Ralphie had no clue how close he was to getting it right there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What was some of your like most favorite, I guess, scenes to be a part of or some of the most just memorable scenes from the show uh, all together? Because if I got to look at an episode as a whole, I love the Pine Barrens. I'll rewatch that. If I'm ever having a bad day, like if I'm having a shitty day from work or whatever the case I'll put on Pine Barrens, and by the end of it, I'm I'm out of my mood. I'm in a good mood. Um, well, Pine Barrens, I agree. Pine Barrens to me was the best episode in the whole the whole seven seasons. Uh, it was just as funny as can be, and it just the two of them were fantastic. And <laughs> whatever happened to the Russian, of course, yeah, it was a, a war cry of all Soprano fans, and uh, and of course, uh, you know, uh, Mikey and. Uh, and uh, and Tony, uh, it, it was fantastic, and the writing was spectacular. It made us laugh, and Pine Barrens is a great. And Mikey, you know, Mikey is a fantastic talent. Uh, Imperioli, I mean, he's he's just an actor, a, a writer, a producer, a director. And uh, I played his father in his first play, so I know him since he's like twenty one years old. Okay, and uh, I, I've, I've always I've always uh, I've always admired his talent from the day I, uh, I I you know I was in the casting process. In in the first play off Broadway, and and we thought he was fantastic then, and I've always thought that of of him. Every time, like a lot of, if we're going traveling or something like that, and you know we were gonna stop to eat, and we kept on going, and you're in that stretch of riding where there's like no restaurants, and I look over at my wife, and she'll know exactly what I'm talking about because I watch that episode all the time, and she likes it too. I go, we should have stopped at Roy Rogers. I mean, that's just kind of what I say as a joke. That's what you'll know. Like you should have stopped back there, wherever the hell it was, Outback Steakhouse or Cracker or whatever. You know, I'm starving over here. Crack about it. <laughs> you know, anything. It seems like you pass more of them on the interstate down here in South Carolina than anything. Without a, without a doubt. <laughs> now, one other one I want to gloss over here was uh, White Caps. The mm-hmm. ending of White Caps with uh, James and Edie. I don't know if I've ever seen a more powerful, well-acted scene in anything, be it movie, television. I mean, you're going to be hard-pressed to put something up against that where two people in the situation that they were in in that scene delivered it so well. That that was just top-notch damn acting at its finest. Well, they both, they both are top-notch actors. And again, the writing being superlative and what good good actors take good writing and elevate it and that they they took the good writing and they elevated it to uh to a true to a tremendous tremendous height both of them throughout the series throughout the seven years seven seasons were spectacular there was never a false moment from either one of them they just they just were sopranos uh well written but also uh well acted by those two as the leaders. Yeah. And also, also, uh, Mikey and Drea, you know, the four of them, yeah. with their acting was spectacular that, you know, made the series that much better, uh, than it would have been with lesser acting. And it's just those little nuances of certain things 
that maybe your average viewer won't pick up, but the ones that are a little bit more smartened up to how things work in that kind of life. I interviewed Frank Santorelli who played, uh, what was it? Uh, G was it GG? Yeah. GG at the bar. Um, no, he, he played, he didn't play Gigi. No, was, what was it? Oh, John. what was, who was the Frank Santorelli, the bartender? What was his name? Yeah. Georgie, 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 Georgie. Georgie. Yeah. Right. I was getting the G's mixed up. Yeah. Yeah. John Fiore played Gigi. So Georgie right. is the scene where they're back in the back. I guess that's the Bing and they have the girls back there and Ralphie's right. poking him with the stick or the pool cue. And he po- gets him right there in the chest and he grabs it from him and slings it. He's like, that fucking hurt. He's like, after they called cut, he said, Sirico walked over there to him and said, he pointed at him and he said, kid, he said, you done that great. You are perfect. He said, the reason why he said, you never raised your hand to him and you never said anything back to him. He said, cause if you had in the life, you wouldn't have been around anymore. He said, you played that perfect. You took it. You told him it hurt. And that was the end of it. He said, and that's how it's supposed to be done. And it's just little things like that, that. The average guy might not know any difference, but it's just in that life. I mean, I, I heard, I don't know how true it is, that David Chase would sometimes get phone calls of people saying, hey, that's not how we would do this type of thing. And then he might, you know, tweak it something a little bit. But I already had a lot of people that would tell him that real mob guys, how things would or should not go on that show. Now, how true that is, I've got no idea. That's just things I've heard. But I always have to remind people it's a TV show. Yeah. It's not real yeah, because there's there's a of a clip. I think it's of the DeCavalcanti family, and it's been long since rumored that that was kind of what they were modeled after. But they're sitting around. It's like surveillance tapes, and they're sitting around talking about the Sopranos. And he's like, "Hey, you seen this show, The Sopranos?" He's like, "That's supposed to be us." So I yeah. mean, that's how far it traveled deep into those roots. That uh, that's the rumor. Vinnie yeah. Ocean, Vinnie Ocean came from Dyker Heights, Brooklyn. So. Yeah. He lived three blocks from where I grew up. Wow. And supposedly Sopranos was based on that family in New Jersey. Yeah. We don't, nobody knows definitively. Chase has never said anything, I don't think. Uh, so uh, that's always the rumor. It's a rumor. But we don't know. So your favorite scene to shoot with you, if you had to pick one out of all of them, like I said, you made it from what, season two all the way to the very end when you got away at that gunfight in the parking lot, what was probably your favorite scene to shoot? When I pledge allegiance to Tony, uh, I think, uh, and, and, and the magic of that scene was, and, and this is, uh, the shows the loyalty of Jimmy. Well, in that scene, I, I think it registers on Patsy's face, the pain of having to, submit to a man who killed his brother yeah and i i love the way that scene played out the the interesting part about that is we shot it was late in the day and we had shot we had shot james's uh close-up and i still had to do my close-up and they called the day and jimmy told them no matter what when you shoot danny's close-up you call me in well they shot it on another day at six in the morning and the assistant director mimicked Jimmy's voice un- uncanny. He was uncanny. I was, it, he sounded like Jimmy. And, and so uh, I, I, it was always magic to me. The lighting is the same. The set is the same. They put it together like a puzzle. You could never tell that my close-up was shot 
five days later at six in the morning and James's close up was shot that night and, and the two shots were that night. But that was my favorite scene because I think it's all is a lot written on Patsy's face to have to say, I gave up the grief. And he says it three times. Like how many times are you going to make me say this? Because I want to put a bullet in your head. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you, you're making me repeat this, you son of a bitch. Yeah. You know, and, and Tony did Tony to Patsy was, did you give up the grief? Let me hear you. Let me hear you. Let me hear you say it. Yeah. Let me take out a gun right now and put a bullet in your head. Because you killed my brother. Tony but, was bad about that, about poking the bear throughout that season. Oh, yeah. He was, that oh, was, yeah. that was his thing there. He would, he would poke oh, yeah. you until you wanted to fly, I guess, to see how far he could push you till you would yeah, break or so something. That was, that was my favorite scene. Secondary was peeing in the pool and hitting the guy at the construction site. Those were, and oh, and climbing the pole on Columbus Day, which I did myself five times. And I was like <laughs> 57 years old or something. And and running down the stream, I was fast as could be. I'm not that fast anymore, but I I was I said to them, no, I can run, I can run. See if you can keep up with me. And the pole, I went up the pole each time, about four, four or five takes. So those were fun. Yeah, the the pole with Silvio's looking at the guy. I'm gonna fucking hang you up there. <laughs> I mean, just the way the way everything was delivered in that man. I don't know if I'll ever see another TV show that comes close with everything in it. You know, the, the fantastic yeah. actors, the fantastic writing, the way it's done, you know, like you just said, piecing stuff together, you know, and, and people that aren't smarting up to how the movie business is. I had an interview with Tom Sizemore, who's been in a ton of films, you know, I think all of his movies brought in over a billion dollars, um, saving private Ryan natural born killers, but heat, which is one of my favorites with Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, and and obviously Tom himself and Val Kilmer. There's that famous scene where they're at the coffee house and Al Pacino's telling him, you know, I'm a cop. And if it comes down to it between, you know, you and some poor bastard's wife, you're fitting to make a widow brother. I'm going to take you down. And then he gives his response back. He's like, you know, look, if there's an opportunity where I got to take you out, I will not hesitate. Not for a second. It's, it's so, climactic is you can feel the tension but they weren't there at the same time right the shots over the shoulder if you pay attention the shots are over the shoulder of the other person talking and then vice versa they gave those you know clips or or scenes or however you want to call them they gave those at different times i think there was a scheduling conflict with one or the other they couldn't be there on the same day so but it's like to me I'm not an actor, so I would think, how do you keep that same passion if you know that's not the guy you're supposed to be talking to? But I guess it's one of them things, when you're in it, you're in it, and that's your job. But, you know, they go fantastic. And like you said, the scene you were talking about was fantastic. You would have had no idea that it was shot on different days and different times. Well, that's a craft. It is a craft. It's just like, you know, it's like woodwork. Yeah. It's a craft. And the other thing I wanted to say was, I don't think we'll ever see a series like The Sopranos again, but The Sopranos opened the door to sem- so many really yes. good series. We have we have so much good television now based on uh, on the superiority of The Sopranos. Yeah. So it put, it brought television back, it raised the standard, and a lot of shows have have uh, risen uh, to the heights. Yeah, and I mean, and just a whole mob genre. You know, I've always been a fan of any mob movie. 
Um, that whole genre has just always been, you know, one of my personal favorites and it's hard to not get a lot of eyes on it. Boardwalk empire that came, you know, after that, you know, was a good show. Um, had Steve Buscemi in that, who was also in, you know, Sopranos. I think he directed, uh, Pine Barrens, if I'm not mistaken, that was before his character actually came in as Blundetto. I think he was the director of uh, Pine Barrens. He's, he's directed a lot. And he, he's he's a sweetheart. What a sweet and a, and a great actor. Yeah, terrific actor. So it, it, if you get the right cast and the right people, and and definitely the key, like you've mentioned a couple of times, the right writers, because that can make the breaker show, is the That's, writing. That is the key. Yeah, the writing. A bad writing, uh, bad writing uh, can be elevated, but not too much. Uh, good writing can't be hurt by bad actors, but can be elevated by, um, by uh, good good actors. Yeah, Absolutely. I only have five percent left on my on my phone. <laughs> well, we're <laughs> we're about to wrap it up here anyway. Well, look here, man, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on the show. Like I said, Sopranos is one of my all time favorite TV shows ever and i'm just delighted that you were able to come on the show and share some of your experiences and your uh your time and you know from the show last question and we're going to close it out with this who was it was a, a character that you was happy to see go uh a character that i was happy to see go well it would have to be ralphie Mine it would too. have to be ralphie because ralphie uh, you know the the episode where he kills he kills the girl, which was one of the uh, Tracy, worst yeah. things that ever, that ever happened on on the set. So I think Ralphie was a psychotic. I mean, they're all sociopaths and psychotics. They all are. They're all they're all uh, you know killers. But Ralphie was way beyond uh, the violent nature of, of of the rest of them. Yeah, the, the, was, oh, David Proval character was not a nice person. Absolutely. And David Proval was probably the first big guy to go up against Tony and he was pretty rough, but Ralphie, I think even outshined him as far as yeah. just somebody that you were not very unhappy to see go the way, especially the way no, he did. No, there. No, yeah. No. Well, Dan, I certainly appreciate you stopping by the show. My friend, we're glad you could come by and visit, uh, you know, more than happy to sit down and do it again sometime later on. We wish you nothing but the best going forward. I don't know if you have any projects coming down the pipe or any shows, uh, but hopefully we'll see you on the screen and, you know, I might bump into you at a, you know, a convention or something like that down the road. Well, thank you very much, Wade. And thank you for being such a knowledgeable, intelligent and terrific Soprano fan. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Uh, It's been my pleasure too, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Hollywood Wade. That was Dan Grimaldi. And unfortunately, We are out of time. Catch us here next week on an all-new episode of Crime and Entertainment. Dan, thank you, my friend. Thank you. Well, boy, oh, boy, what an episode that was. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. I know I certainly did, speaking with Dan. You know, I've interviewed quite a few people on The Sopranos so far, and he was definitely one of my favorites. I've had the pleasure of interviewing guys like Robert Fanara, John Fiore, uh, you know, even Lilo Brancato, who was our first interviewer, uh, St. Frank Santarelli, who played uh, Georgie the bartender. So, you know, it's a dream come true in some respects for me to be able to do this because that is one of my favorite television shows. And I never dreamed in a million years 
that I would be able to sit down and actually talk to these guys and ask them questions and pick their brain about filming such an iconic TV show that many people say is the best show ever on TV, and I believe I would have to tend to agree with them. I don't really know nothing else that's uh, on that level. Sons of Anarchy is close. The Wire is close, but... You know, there just is no beating the Sopranos folks for my money. Now, other people might not be into that sort of thing, but, you know, that's them, and they're entitled to be wrong like everyone else. (laughs) But we want everybody to head on over to our YouTube channel, Crime and Entertainment, and please give us a like and a follow on there. You know, you'll get notified when we drop new content, new videos So definitely please do that. We're not trying to hit you up in your pockets and asking for your money. We just want you to go sub to the channel, folks. That's all we're asking here. Now, if you're an audio type of guy or gal that likes to listen to this show, head on over to Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on both of those. Also, we're on the Stitcher app. I like to plug the Stitcher app a little bit because a lot of people don't like getting subscriptions to things. Stitcher app is absolutely free. We are on there. You can go back and listen to all of our back episodes uh, from one all the way to the current one right now. And that'll just be great if you could do that for us. Give us a review on those things, too. Give us five stars. Tell them, you know, we're the most awesome podcast you've ever seen. You, you love it. You can't wait. You're going to tell your wife she's got to give you, you know, a couple hours on Sunday or your, your husband because you got to just listen to crime and entertainment and get your fix, folks. And please, please, please go on over and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram as well. We also have a TikTok. That's right. We joined the TikToks. That's at Crime and Entertainment as well. So go give us a follow on that. We put out little short snippets from the interviews over on that side of things as well for you guys to kind of take a look at the episode and see if it's something that you might be interested in watching. So we want to thank all you guys. We're well past 75,000 downloads now for the show. The YouTube is going well. So this all couldn't be done without you guys tuning in. Because frankly, if nobody was listening, I would be wondering what the hell I'm doing here. But I appreciate all of you guys listening, tuning in, commenting. You know, I I love interacting with the listeners. Sometimes it's a little bit of a headache, you know, when they're trying to knock you and your work. But you know, it is what it is. You got to take that with it with a grain of salt and keep on pushing. And again, want to thank everyone for tuning into the show. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are done. Please tune in next week for an all new episode of Crime and Entertainment. I am Hollywood Wade. You guys have a great, great rest of Memorial Day weekend. <laughs>